turn to the scripture again, this time to Ephesians chapter 5, which is our text. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read from verse 21 through to chapter 6, verse 9. That's on page 978 in your pew Bible, if you have a pew Bible. This is the word of God. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. That's the reading of the text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, on October 2nd, 2018, Air Astana 1388, Flight 1388 left Lisbon, destined for Eastern Europe. It had just recently undergone maintenance and they had replaced the cables which control, which control the ailerons and they had been installed incorrectly. They had been switched and reversed. 
And so the minute the plane was up in the air, the pilots tried to bank right or bank left, and the plane did not respond the way it was supposed to. And so for the next 90 minutes, this plane flew a roller coaster ride as the pilots struggled to control it. At some points in the in the 90-minute journey, the plane was upside down. It actually barrel rolled and flipped. Now, when there's an emergency in an airplane, the pilots don't fly by the seat of their pants. Pilots have a saying, aviate, navigate, communicate. Aviate, keep the plane up in the air. When you manage that, then navigate, figure out where you're going. And then finally, when you have a chance, communicate with air traffic control. And so they have these checklists for a lot of situations that can be anticipated, and they go through the checklists. And that's what these guys did. And praise God, after a horrific 90-minute roller coaster ride, they finally figured out how to kind of control the plane. They managed to land it at a nearby airport, and there was no loss of life. Now, since March 2020, life has been a bit of a roller coaster ride. It has often seemed out of control, and sometimes it seems as though our life has been turned upside down, not just here in St. Albert, but around Alberta, Canada, and around the world. The world is in turmoil. What ought we do when things are turning upside down? We need to go back to the basics. We need to do the right thing. We need to do the next thing. And that's what the apostle told us in chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so Christians don't react with a gut reaction to everything. Christians react intentionally. And deliberately, whether we are buffeted by sin and temptation or the attacks of the kingdom of darkness, whether we are buffeted by the painful reminders that we live in a fallen and broken world and a creation groaning under the curse of sin, we go through our checklist. And what is our checklist? Well, look at those verses following verse 15. Our checklist is to evaluate what the will of the Lord is, to distinguish between foolishness and wisdom. And we begin with asking the question, are we in Christ? Are we looking to Christ? Are we filled with the Spirit of Christ? Is the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly? Are we always singing to Christ in our hearts? Are we addressing one another in Christ with the word of Christ? Are we always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the checklist we go through when life is confusing and when we're being tossed to and fro. Now, we, we looked uh, last time at the verses 18 through to 20. 
And you see where the apostle describes what it looks like to be filled with the, the Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit, then this is what we look like. And you see those verbs there, those participles in verse 19. We're addressing one another with psalms. We're singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. We're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the, the verbs that we looked at last time. And there's one more. That's verse 21. If we're filled with the Spirit, we're also submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what does that mean? Now, the word submitting here, behind it is a, a military concept. It has the idea of taking your proper place in a military formation. When the regiment marches, everybody has their place. The colonel marches ahead, and all the other ranks fall in behind. And so this is a vital aspect of new life in Christ. That's the context in which our text occurs. The apostle is describing in chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 the difference between darkness and light, the difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit, the, the difference between foolishness and wisdom. And the poisonous lie of the kingdom of darkness is you can be anything you want to be. That message, which comes through the kids' programs and kids' books and kids' movies, is the poison of the kingdom of darkness. You can be anything you want to be. Sin celebrates things that are out of place. Sin celebrates disorder at all levels. Sin rejoices at things not being in the proper order and the proper place. But the gospel says the opposite of what Hollywood says. The gospel says you are spirit-empowered to be who God made you to be. You see, sin introduces a fundamental twistedness into the order of creation. If you look ahead a few pages to Jude chapter 1, verse 6, Jude verse 6, the scripture speaks about the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. They didn't know their place in the created order. They didn't know their place in the universe. And so they are, they are sentenced under the judgment of God and kept in eternal chains until the judgment of the great day. That's the kingdom of sin. That's the kingdom of darkness. Things are out of place. Things are not in the proper creational order. And every aspect of creation shouts out the truth that God is a God of order. Even the fallen creation, even the groaning creation cannot hide the fact that there is a beautiful and divine and glorious order in the universe that God has made. 
And we can see that when things are out of place, then there is pain, and there is misery, and there is brokenness. We just looked at Jude, verse 6. The angels didn't keep their place. That brings judgment. And we have to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve didn't keep their place. If you take a quick look at Genesis 3, verse 17, why is our daily work so painful? Why do things go wrong at work? Why do problems occur in our daily activities? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 17 of, this, of, of Genesis. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In other words, Adam abdicated his office as a husband. He did not keep his proper place. He didn't lead, he followed. And because of that, the ground was cursed. And because of that, every time that something goes wrong in our daily work, we can be reminded that this is because a man did not do his job. And a husband was not faithful to his office. You see, when things are out of place, it's a horror and a monstrosity, it brings pain, it brings suffering. Think about your body. Think about your body. Children, if, if we would switch body parts around, let's say we took the pointer finger and we took the arm and we switched them around. Can you imagine what that would look like? So your pointer finger would be coming out of your shoulder, and there'll be the finger, and then the, then the hand would be connected there, and then the, the pointer finger on the hand would be the arm. That's... That's a monstrosity. It wouldn't work. The, the weight, the finger couldn't bear the weight. You wouldn't be able to use your hand. Imagine trying to play the piano when one of your fingers was an arm. That wouldn't work, would it? So when things are not in the right place, it's a monstrosity. And it's what is true for the body that is true for society. Sin brings disorder. Sin, sin puts things out of place. And grace fixes that. Grace restores creation. Grace puts things back in their proper place. Grace puts us in our place. And when the Holy Spirit of God repairs and restores the brokenness of the fall, and when we're in our proper place, then we can thrive and flourish and really live the way we were meant to live. And so that's what the apostle is saying here. In verse 21, in the power of the Spirit, we can take our God-ordained places in society. And then he goes on to describe three fundamental areas of human society. Marriage, children, and work. These are the most basic aspects of human life. And today, we're not going to go into all the details of these verses. We're going to do that in a, in a later sermon. But today, we're going to look uh, a kind of an kind of an overview of these verses. Now, I just said that marriage, children, and work are the most basic aspects of human life. And perhaps you're single and you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm not married and I have no 
children, so am I only one-third human then? What about if I'm unemployed and single? Am I not human at all? We need to understand that the three basic aspects of human life apply to the human race as a whole. This is the calling of mankind. This is the ordinary calling and the ordinary way of how God works in human life. Now, to some of us, God has given an extraordinary calling. And that doesn't change the facts. In an army, most soldiers work together in units. But there are also soldiers who have a special calling to be saboteurs or to be spies who work alone deep behind the enemy lines. And it's a special calling. It's a vital service to the commander-in-chief and to the war effort. And so if you have a special calling in the kingdom of God, that doesn't change the fact that normally and ordinarily, these are the three aspects of human life and society. But as you, a single believer, look at the verses of our text, know that even if you're unmarried, these verses speak to you. Does not the Apostle Paul compare marriage to the relationship between Christ and the church? Are you not a member of the church of Christ? And so you are in this marriage relationship between believers, between the body, and between Christ the head. So the teaching of verses 22 to 33 is also for you. And then some of you who are single may be perhaps preparing for a future relationship. And so this teaching is certainly still for you. And for those for whom God has given the calling to be single for their whole life, it is nevertheless important for you to understand the truths of Scripture about marriage and about love so that you can encourage others, your friends, in godly relationships. Those who are childless, are certainly not without parents. So the teaching of Scripture about the relationship between parents and children is for all of us, not just for those who have children. And of course, the teaching about parents and children also has to do with other authorities in our lives, as the fifth commandment teaches us. And so that teaching is for everyone. Those who are unemployed still have a master. Doesn't Paul say that? Our master's in heaven. Even if I don't have a job right now, I still have work to do. I still have a master. I'm still called to be faithful and fruitful in daily activities, even if they're not remunerated in this life. And so when we come to texts like this, don't be too quick to shut down. Don't be too quick to say, well, that applies to other people in the church, and I'm just going to sit here and stare blankly at the pulpit and wait for this to be over. Prayerfully consider how the Holy Spirit is teaching you and what he has to say to you. And so there are three basic areas that the Apostle Paul uh, outlines here in our text. And they come from the beginning. They come from the creation of the world. It is not good that man should be alone. God made man, male and female, God ordained marriage as a holy one flesh union. God commanded man and woman together to be fruitful, to, be, to multiply, to fill the earth. 
That's why we have male and female joined in marriage so that the earth will be filled with God praisers and God worshipers. And God ordained not only marriage, but also family. Children are not only a blessing, they are a command. And God also ordained work. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and you see what the Lord did there before the fall. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The way some people say, thank God it's Friday, you would think that work is a result of the fall, that it's an evil thing, that it's a burden, that it's a horrible thing. We can't wait for heaven where we can just sit around and lounge around and do nothing. Well, that's not the way life works. That's not what the, the, the way that life was made to be. We were made to work. And in paradise, God put man in the garden to work it and to keep it. It is a glorious creational institution. Now, what were Adam and Eve and their children supposed to do in their work? Well, if you want to have an idea of what they were supposed to do, you need to go to the book of Revelation. And when you look at the book of Revelation and you read the description of the New Jerusalem, what do you see? You see a garden city, and it fills the earth, and it is beautiful, and it is taking all the beautiful things of this earth, the, the, the precious stones and the gold, and, and it's built this glorious habitation which fills the earth, and that glorious habitation is filled with worshipers of God. That's what we were supposed to do. That was the work we had. And because we didn't do it in Adam, Jesus is doing it for us. And so marriage, family, and work are beautiful, holy, creational institutions. And the devil attacked the very foundational things of God's good creation. The devil attacked the foundations of human society. Sin ripped into marriage. It torpedoed that relationship between husband and wife. Children murdered each other in the first generation. Work became a painful toil and drudgery. And so all of those foundational things, the devil just slammed into them with the, the evil and the wickedness of the fall. Because that's what the devil has to offer. And that's what the world has to offer. Broken relationships, broken families, hatred, bickering, arguing, and work as an evil necessity and a painful toil and drudgery. And that's the way we look at things, and that's how, the way we live until and unless the Spirit of God takes a hold of us and changes our hard hearts into living hearts of faith and fills us with new life. And when He regenerates us, when He, he makes us be born again, and He makes us alive, and He takes us from darkness to light, then He heals us, He restores us, and He puts us back in our place and then we learn to really live, to really be human the way God made humans to be. And so this is where the battle is. This is the point of conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And you will notice in our day, in our age, 
that it is at this very point that there are the most ferocious attacks of the devil against the very foundations of human life and flourishing. Sexuality is in his crosshairs. What is a man? What is a woman? What is sex? What is gender? Attacks on marriage, turning marriage from a beautiful, uh, life-giving diversity into a dry, barren sameness. And then there are attacks on childbearing and children. Just got to look at the hundreds of thousands of little babies who are killed in the womb, and it's celebrated as a wonderful thing for society. And there are the attacks on the family, the vicious hatred of the family. And if you're still watching some TV, which I hope you're not, but if you're still watching some of these shows on TV, you will notice, and you've noticed for a long time, that families are portrayed in a twisted way, where often the father is the doofus, and he has no idea about what's going on, and, and the children are the ones that really understand what life is all about. There's the attack on the family in media. There's the attack on the family in politics. As more and more the idea comes that children belong to the state. I've even heard when I was working in Brazil, a government official say that the state exists to protect children from their parents as a general principle. And then there's the attack on honest dignity of human labor, of daily labor. It is despised. It is shameful. Society celebrates laziness and welfareism and the unfruitfulness of living off the froth of market speculation or living off government handouts. And so we're living in a world full of turmoil. Things are turned upside down. Things are out of their place. But in that turmoil, Christians live on solid ground. The mountains can be removed from their place and they can be cast into the depth of the sea. But we have a fortress which is unshakable and which is unmoving. We have God and we can build our lives on him. And so what do we need to do when the world is confusing and when it's full of turmoil? We need to go back to the basics. Marriage, family, children, work. Now, sometimes you might leave church and you may think, well, how am I supposed to be a witness to Christ? And how am I supposed to declare his praises in the world? I'm home all day with little ones. I'm washing dishes. I'm washing clothes. I'm keeping the house. I'm cooking. How can I evangelize? How can I be a light in the world? How can I fight the battle between the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness when I have my arms full of unfolded laundry? Well, this is how you do it. You fight the battle by being who you are called to be, by doing what you are called to do. We read and we sang, we sang Psalm 128. It is a picture of a grace-filled life, a Christ-filled life, a spirit-restored life. There is work. There is love, there is marriage, there is children, there is family, and there is blessing in that. 
It is an oasis of blessing in a barren world desiccated by the curse. And as the unbelievers stumble around in the darkness, lost in the darkness, stumbling towards hell, the Christian, the godly, the spirit-filled home is a light in the window of heaven calling them from the darkness to the light. And it's that simple. It really is that simple. You don't have to pack your suitcases and go off into the Amazon to preach the gospel. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Go back to the basics. Run through the checklist. Do what you're called to do. Be who you're called to be. And God will use you for his purposes, for his kingdom, and for his glory. You're not called. I'm not called to run public health. We're not called to instruct other people about their personal medical decisions. We're not called to control the thoughts and the actions of others. We're not called to save the world because Jesus did that already. But we are called to embrace our calling. We are called to fall in. When when an officer wants the troops to form up, then that's the command. Fall in. Get into place. Take your place in the unit. And so we need to fall in, brothers and sisters. We need to take our place in the power of the Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, do your job. What does it look like to be Spirit-filled? It's very simple. You worship God. You love your spouse. You love your children. You do your daily work faithfully. Now, in the 18th century, it was a time of naval warfare, and you had those uh, large ships full of cannons, and they would have to fire at each other these broadsides. And if the crew was well-trained and everybody was doing their job, they could fire a broadside about once every two minutes, all these cannonballs flying over to the other ship. When everybody's doing their job, they could do that. But of course, if people weren't doing their jobs, if the young boys running with the gunpowder would suddenly decide to go and help the cook peel potatoes in the kitchen, in the gully. If the captain, instead of giving commands, decided he was going to look from the crow's nest and see what was happening. If the gunners would leave their jobs and start fiddling with the sails, if people weren't doing their jobs, the ship would sit there floating, defenseless and vulnerable, and it would be sunk by the broadsides of the enemy. When everybody was doing their job, it was a formidable fighting force with everyone in their place. Now, why am I getting all military here? Well, look ahead at the verses which follow our text. It's not a coincidence that Paul, after our text, speaks about a military analogy and uses military language because when the Spirit puts us in our place, when we cheerfully take our place in the power of the Spirit, then we become a mighty army in the service of of, of our God. We become a formidable fighting force of the kingdom of light against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And how do we do that? How do we become this fighting force? We go back to the basics. We do what we're called to do. 
Be who you're called to be. Lift up the banner of the kingdom of heaven. Lift up the name of the king of kings. We take our place. We worship. We take our place. We exalt in the power of the spirit. We take our place. We taste the power of the new life. We take our place and we experience the beginnings of eternal glory. We take our place and we stand firm against the onslaught of the powers of darkness. We take our place and we hold out the gospel to a dying world. We take our place and we reverence Christ in whom all things hold together. Amen.